I'll make sure to hit record here so we can get this for, for archives. Um, yeah, let, let's dive into the, the process of actually receiving this revelation in order to, to sacrifice Isaac and, and what, what kind of things we can learn from the, this request. I love how it says on, on page 208 here at the top that um, it's not so much of a command, but a request. Um, I request of you. And Jewish tradition similarly records that the Lord is saying, please. Um, I find that these are interesting insights into um, the sacrifice of Isaac and, and how the Lord is um, uh, requesting this trial, uh, this sacrifice of Abraham. Um, it, it's really up to Abraham if, if he wants and is willing to, to go forward with God's will, no matter what he, he asks. And so um, does anybody have any comments or questions or, or insights that they learned from, um, from this point in the story up until they actually leave for uh, Mount Moriah and take that journey? Um, anything you'd like to, to throw out there? Yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned about um, following God's will here. Um, we, we see a lot of that, especially in, in our Sunday school lessons, etc., where um, this isn't a test for God. God already knows our hearts, but um, this was a test for Abraham. He needed to know something about himself, his faithfulness, uh, if he was going to, to persevere through, through all um, requests of the Lord. Um, there on the bottom of 208, it says that all he needed to know was what God desired. And, and that's in stark contrast to what happened uh, just two chapters ago when he pled for the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he, he heard God's will and then actually went to um, negotiating with the Lord kind of a thing. Versus here, he just, uh, from the get-go, just submits. It, it's kind of a, a stark contrast. One's black, one's white kind of thing. Um, how it's a to an untrained eye, a seemingly um, difference of, of character here. But I think it's interesting to know why the, the difference here. Why doesn't he plead and ask the Lord, Lord, why do I have to do this? This is my covenant son. This is, uh, aren't you uh, jumping to conclusions here or, or whatever? Um, but yet this attitude, this action that Abraham takes here is very telling into his character that he understands sacrifice and understands the Lord's will and, and is willing to go along with it no matter what. I guess, Cameron, my thought on it was, um, you know, we all make progression over time. And I think that it showed where Abraham was in his progression, that he didn't say no to the Lord, that he didn't beg and plead and uh, whereas, with Sodom and Gomorrah, he begged for the people there and he tried to make a deal with the Lord and, he, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I maybe he learned through the Sodom and Gomorrah thing and, and other things in his life that, hey, submit to the Lord and it'll all work out, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That was, kind of, that was kind of my thought of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, towards the, the bottom of 208 there, it says that 
like the very last line on the page. Um, well, I guess not the very last line. Um, so Abraham did not disclose what he had been asked to do, but he simply, as Genesis tells, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He did it himself, although he had many servants, and took his two lads with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the offering and rose and went to the place that God had said to him. And so um, I find this interesting. I mean, we're starting to, to kind of unfold this new picture. We see lots of paintings and depictions of uh, Abraham and his sacrifice of Isaac, but um, we're starting to see a, a fuller picture of, of the story and the scenario that uh, encompasses this experience. Um, so he has two other lads that, that accompany them on this journey. And so there's four males of different ages uh, taking a three-day journey, and then two of them actually going up to Mount Moriah for the sacrifice. I find that very interesting. It's kind of a pattern, uh, kind of the pattern of um, the, the crucifixion as well, where um, out of the 12 apostles, there's three selected to, to go on a, a, a journey further into the garden, and then only Christ goes full into uh, the garden for the atonement and comes back and, and reports, etc. It, it's kind of telling, um, there's lots of similar parallels between Abraham and Isaac and uh, uh, God and, and, and Christ and, and the apostles uh, later on. We see so many parallels um, in, in the first part of the book with Abraham and Joseph Smith, and then um, it really uh, takes a, a transitional uh, change here uh, with Abraham and, and Isaac and how this is pointing towards Christ and, and his atonement uh, a lot. Um, so what does the donkey have to do with anything? Uh, we see here on, on page 209 that um, we, we have some discussion uh, about this donkey, that they are carrying the wood and provisions, etc. What symbolism? What, when else do we see donkeys in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Um, and why, why do you think that that's a, a prominent feature here in uh, this, this story? It's interesting that we have three different animals in um, this story that seem to play a, a, a pivotal role. Um, why these three animals uh, and the first one here being being the donkey? Uh, we have the donkey and then a ram and then a lamb. And, and they all seem to serve their purpose in the story, but also point forward to uh, future events in, in their own right. So um, one of the things that I found on donkeys, I'm really fast with Google, <laughs> is donkeys are symbols of service, suffering, peace, and humility. So if we look at that, you know, Christ rode a donkey into Jerusalem, you know, and uh, before his crucifixion. Why? Not because, hey, look at me, I'm great and I'm grand and, you know, I'm the Lord. It's, I'm here to serve you. I am humble. I am going to suffer for you. And I'm going to bring you peace. All of those things that were symbolized along with that donkey, right? Because, you know, that's, that is who Christ is. And 
Um, we know that the um, offering of Isaac was in similitude of what the father was going to have to do with Christ. He was just, just you know, asking Abraham, are you willing to do what I'm going to have to do? And, you know, the, I think the donkey just helps to point again toward Christ. Um, going back to the asking, when the Lord asked Abraham, he didn't tell him because the Lord respects agency above all else. Everything is all about our agency, even when Adam and Eve were given their commandments, right? Mm -hmm. But it's up to you what you're going to do, right? It, we always have our agency, even if he tells us this is what's best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Thank you. Um, so, yes, I, I find it interesting as they're taking this three-day journey up to uh, Jerusalem, to Mount Moriah here, um, that on, on page 210, this is a part of the story that I had never heard. Uh, it says that on the third day, says Genesis, Abraham looked up and saw a place far away. How did he recognize it? Jewish tradition says he saw a pillar of fire or a cloud of glory resting on the mountain. Uh, interesting how that, that keeps coming uh, into play uh, with major discoveries. Um, it usually happens on the third day, etc. cetera. Um, uh, you know, some little things that, that come in, in to my mind or whatever, like Columbus or uh, anybody that's um, going on, on journeys, Nephi in the wilderness, etc. Um, the Lord usually uh, sends forth a, a miraculous sign to show uh, or designate certain places. And here on Mount Moriah, um, that, that there's this pillar of fire or a cloud of glory resting on it. <clears throat> um, that must have been quite of an, an experience for, for Abraham and Isaac and, and the two lads to to see that maybe it was just Abraham that's seen it. I don't know, but um, uh, to, to see that afar off and and recognize that as a sign from the Lord, because um, with Moses and in, in his day, you know that comes much later. But but that pillar and cloud actually lead and guide them uh, throughout the whole wilderness motif. Uh, it, but this is this is preceding that. This is one of the first instances in the scriptures that that we see that that pillar of fire there. <clears throat> So, and then kind of transitioning over to the actual Akeda on page 212. This was um, something that I've seen a lot in, in my different readings and stuff. I had seen this word Akeda. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right, but um, I, I never knew what it was until I read this book. And, and here it is. So anytime that we're talking about Isaac and the binding, that's the, the Akeda. Uh, that it's talking about there. Um, so that would be a, a, a good one to, to memorize that word. So anytime it pops up, you, your mind goes directly to, to Isaac and the binding. Hey, um, Cameron, will you tell what part on page 212 that is that you're... Uh -huh, yeah, so it's toward the bottom and it's the it's in the last paragraph, the first sentence. So just right, right by footnote 61. Okay, just got it. Thank you. Yep. What, what is the meaning of the word Akeda, Cameron? Uh -huh. It actually means the binding. And so uh, the binding of Isaac. Okay. Uh, it, it could apply to, to anything that is bound, but um, 
whenever you're looking at it in a, a Talmudic reference or a Midrash or anything like that, it's always referring uh, to this specific episode. Um, as far as I found anyway, I, I could be wrong on that. I'm not a gospel scholar. <laughs> you're pretty darn close, I'd say. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, but interesting, we in the, the gospel, we, we sometimes don't resonate or, or have much information on Isaac uh, as much. We, we connect with Abraham and we connect with Jacob and Israel, but sometimes Isaac is somewhat skipped over. And I find that the things that are pointed out in this uh, chapter are just so illuminating as to his stature and character. Um, there on uh, that same paragraph that we were just talking about with the Ikeda, uh, just kind of quoting some of his his things here. It says, um, uh, between footnotes 61 and 62, bind me well that I may not struggle at the anguish of my soul and that a blemish may not be found in your offering. Interesting to, to kind of note there that this blemish, um, that, that comes later with the uh, mosaic law, uh, the lamb without blemish, etc. Um, very much with the Egypt motif and Passover. But um, here, Isaac is using that, um, that he knows that the offering does not, uh, cannot have a blemish upon it. And then he implored his father, fasten my bands so that I do not move about and tie back your garments so that none of my blood splashes on them, lest Sarah see it and be saddened. I, I just love Isaac so much from, from that simple little thing that we learned here, that even though he's just kind of barely found out about the fact that he's the one to, to be sacrificed. It's new uncharted territory. This isn't something that God requires of everyone. And, and yet where is his focus? It's on letting his father perform a perfect sacrifice without blemish and that his mother not be saddened by this. Um, his, his focus is always outward. And isn't that so telling of how Abraham taught his children? Um, just the pure and, and simple truth of the gospel to never focus inward, to always be uh, concerned and, and worried and um, have compassion and empathy for, for those around. Um, it, it says here that Jewish tradition further recounts that Isaac urged his father once he returned home to break the news gently to Sarah in a way and setting that she would not harm herself out of grief. Uh, just, just amazing. I, I, I just love Isaac. I'm so excited for the restoration of all things. Hopefully we get more background and insight into Isaac and, and his character. I think that that will be so fun to connect with him on, on new and meaningful levels. Um, you know, Cameron, I almost thought as I read that, um, Isaac's faith must have been almost equal to Abraham's for him to react in that way. Yeah, for sure. And, and we don't hear that much about it. And, and he probably hadn't seen God yet, but he, he certainly had fantastic faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic faith in order to do this. As it points out somewhere in this chapter that, you know, Abraham received it from the Lord, but Isaac had to just receive it from Abraham. And so, you know, that, that exhibits that faith that he trusts his father enough that his father is in tune with the Lord and, and that this is required. 
Yeah. Uh, going backwards the page, when Isaac does first find out about this, um, in the middle of the page, right, footnote 40 or 50-ish, so that Isaac broke the silence and said to his father, um, uh, Father, and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, uh, The fire stone and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham replied that God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together, and <clears throat> then, oh, where is it? Oh, down in the next part. This is where I was wanting to, to go. Um, so um, these are, are suggested words. These are not an actual quote. But, but you, my dearly beloved son, by whom God has given me, have been destined for the burnt offering. Josephus records these words by Abraham. My child, having asked with myriad prayers from God that you be born to me when you came into life, there is nothing that I did not take trouble with regarding to your upbringing, nor was there anything that I thought would bring me greater happiness than if I should see you grown to manhood. And when I died, I could have you as a successor of my realm. But since it was by God's wish that I became a father, and again since, as it seems best to him, I give you up bear this consecration nobly for i concede you to god who requires now to obtain this honor from us in return for the fact that he has been a benevolent helper and ally to me and it, it just goes on there so i i find abraham's words here i mean yes this is kind of quoted from josephus etc it might not be attributed directly to abraham but it, it nonetheless helps me connect with abraham in deep and meaningful ways here um, to to see some of what might have been going through his mind, uh, you know, at, at the first and foremost is gratitude for all the blessings that the Lord has blessed him with so far, even the blessing of this this covenantal son that um, uh, was long awaited. Uh, I find that I don't know, just every little glimpse and and thing into Abraham and Isaac here are are just so meaningful as we read through this. And, and telling of their character. Um, Cameron, can I ask a question here? I, you know, as I'm reading through, I'm reading all of the different quotes from Josephus and from the different uh, sources. Do you have any knowledge as to these sources and uh, what what might be the most reliable sources? Oh. I know the world quotes Josephus a lot, but um, I, I just to, to, um, I, that's a, a loaded question because there's so many. I, sorry, it one, is. It each is. one needs their own explanation. <laughs> I with Josephus, as far as the the gospel type of things go, I, I usually lean on on him about eighty to ninety percent of the time. And as far as history. It's about 70 to 80 percent of historical accurateness kind of thing. I, who knows? I, I, but he, he's in the upper part of, of reliability, I would say. Josephus, Asher, um, some of these uh, main ones that, uh, not Asher, Jasher. I, I'm tripping over my words here. Mm -hmm. um, Jasher is, is quite reliable. I, I would uh, definitely put a lot of credence into that one. Um, but yeah, 
you know, I, I definitely am not a, a great gospel scholar on as far as all of the historicity of, of that, but. Um, that sounds uh, like a great question to ask next Sunday night. Yeah, exactly. Like That's one of the questions true. here is like, okay, if I'm on a budget and only could afford like five of these things that you quote from, which ones do I put most credence in and which ones do I buy? Like spend my money on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Josephus and Jasher might be some of those. I, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that I, I, I love bringing that back up. I definitely ask that question. Cameron, another comment on this whole scenario with Isaac and Abraham is we are so used to seeing pictures of Isaac being this young boy, dad, what's going on kind of thing. Isaac was a man. He was grown up. He was at least in his 20s. If you, if you believe the, the um, timeline in the beginning of this book, he was 25. If it was, um, I have heard even that he was 33, mm -hmm. that he was the same age that Christ was. And, you know, that's yet another parallel between Isaac and Christ. Um, but he was a grown man. He knew the gospel. Abraham had taught him and taught him well. And um, he knew the Lord. And so this was not by any stretch of the imagination, just um, Abraham getting ready to kill a small boy that he could overpower. Surprise. He would not have been able to overpower Isaac just the two of them, Isaac had to have done it on his own will. And that's where those comments about, you know, make it tight so I don't, you know, thrash about that kind of thing. He knew what he was doing and he went willingly, just like Christ knew what he was doing and went willingly. Um, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, you know, what, what might have been going through uh, both of their minds as they're making this journey and as they're progressing closer to Mount Moriah and and when they're coming to the realizations that they are like uh, we talked about this in our in our last group discussion as well that you know like is Abraham uh, hoping that the same scenario plays out that in Ur maybe the God will send an angel and tell him not to do it I, from some of the the things like it says on uh, 214 a Jewish tradition similarly reports that Abraham expected to live a few days only after completing the sacrifice. It was very tormenting for him to uh, to have to give up his son like this. Um, or was he uh, maybe kind of in, in the back of his head realizing uh, the significance and, and symbolism of this and that uh, his son would be typifying Christ? Um, was he uh, hoping for uh, the... Uh, a, a resurrection or a, a bringing back to life kind of scenario like okay i'm going to sacrifice isaac and then it's going to um be revealed to me how to to use the priesthood in order to, to bring him back to life kind of a thing but we don't know all of the scenarios but what could have been going through this patriarch's mind and, and similarly with isaac what what's going through his mind but what we do know is it's just pure trust and, and faith that that is happening here and we likewise need to, to have that same trust and faith in our uh, trials and tests. Uh, even, even the small ones we uh, are, are called upon to bear on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, I find those uh, very helpful as we have a, a, a pattern, Abraham, that, that submits to God in all things. 
as we dive into the Isaiah class, um, Isaiah uses the three to, to four main um, patriarchs as, as examples, and Abraham being the one that submits to God in all things. Um, that's the, the imagery that Isaiah pulls forward out of him. Uh, but yeah, what an amazing man and, and family. What it would have been like to have been um, in, just in the household, let alone uh, the covenant child of Abraham. What it would have been like to be been taught at his knee and, and learn the things that, that Abraham knew and experienced here, those testimonies and experiences firsthand. I mean, Abraham has, has ascended on high and seen the, the panoramic vision, the cosmic vision, etc. And, and to, to be able to, to relate that in faith to, to your posterity would, I don't know, just be amazing to hear that, um, that, that story, that account, that faith, and, and all of those miracles proceeding would have been something else. <laughs> I think one of the things that's great to remember is that we are all part of Abraham's family, right? Maybe there's, you know, a few centuries, uh, maybe a couple of eons between him and us. <laughs> um, but those same blessings can be ours. President Nelson has been telling us to study the blessings of covenant Israel. Why? They're ours. They can be ours. It doesn't have to be something several years and several thousands of years in the past. It can be ours right now. And, um, you know... All of those things that Abraham had, they can be ours too. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's up to us. Are we willing to do the work like Abraham was willing to do the work? Yeah. That takes a little bit, right? We've all got a little, we're, we're in different places on that path on doing that work. And maybe we, some days we do a little bit better than on others. <laughs> um, but if we, if we realize that that is, that is a goal that's attainable to us as well, I think that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, I find it interesting on page 213, uh, uh, just above the halfway mark there around footnote 70, that in the words of Eli Weisel, the sacrifice was to be a joint offering. I found that very striking, uh, reading that phrase. And uh, if Abraham and Isaac are in a similitude of God, the Father, and, and Jesus Christ, that the atonement uh, was another joint offering, both sacrificing what was most precious to them. Uh, anyway, I found that very interesting, uh, the, the idea of joint offerings. And if that at all plays into our lives, if we are ever called upon to, to do joint offerings, um, is that in couples, you know, like, is it a pattern with Abraham and Sarah, joint offerings? And, and here again with Abraham and, and Isaac, that, that principle. I don't know, just something to, to think and, and mull over. Um, yeah, and it seems like um, Abraham is aware that this is a similitude of um, Jesus being offered as at the crucifixion because he has um isaac carry the wood and that's what uh jesus had to carry the 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 cross mm -hmm. time so it seems like he's aware of 
that or, or why would he you know have that done that particular thing I don't know maybe it just kind of landed that way like you carry the wood you know uh -huh. and he didn't know uh -huh. I I just keep asking myself why why was this so significant to do this why did the Lord ask Abraham to do this because you know Abraham himself was at one point going to be sacrificed but it was for evil purposes so it was you know this is a this is like you don't you don't kill people you know and so what was the purpose for Abraham to go through this thing in similitude of you know Christ uh, or Isaac will be sacrificed and Christ was why why was this necessary you know what i'm saying does um and it was it just i mean so it was a test to abraham it was test to isaac but i don't quite get it i i just keep thinking what is this about why do you know what i'm i don't even know how to ask this question but has anybody else thought the same thing yeah. is there <laughs> more of a purpose that i'm not seeing it i mean i myself feel like i've had gone through my own Abraham that you know thing where I was asked to do something that was going against all the principles everything I've ever been taught and I fought it I didn't want to do it but I finally had to go through with it and you know um but of course it wasn't on this level and I'm not near like Abraham but um, and there was things I learned from it, but like, you know, a test, are you listening to God? Are you willing to be completely submissive and, um, surrender all? Is that what it's about to test Abraham to the very, uh, last thing to see if he is willing to listen, you know, can he hear the voice of the Lord on this thing that's against what God would generally have us do is that why i just wondering why what what and even why is there a purpose to have this whole thing in similitude of the savior you know mm -hmm. the lord wants to know how much he trusts the lord and sometimes we don't know how much we really trust the lord until we are tried with our limit the, with the thing that might or that could possibly break us Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jesus Christ, the whole time he was here on the earth, he had his, he had his agency to choose not to go through with it or to choose a different way of demonstrating his power, his lineage, his abilities, his talents, his, uh, his kingly position. And yet he meekly and humbly uh, followed the will of the father because he was on the father's errand now in in this particular case with abraham you'll also have to understand something i think it has a lot to do with the promised blessings afterwards it has to do with dedication it has to do with uh we where much is given much is required so in order for the lord to be able to give endless posterity and endless pro uh probation uh, posterity posterity sorry uh there is a responsibility and a dedication that goes along with that and if we uh have not been tried by the father 
in these regards. It, it's like being taught by uh, someone who loves you mm -hmm. because if you don't pass the test with someone who loves you, you'll take the test again with someone who doesn't love you and is looking for your demise. Mm -hmm. So the if you don't know if you can pass the test, then you don't have the experience and you will falter. And yeah. that's the reason why the Lord is is putting him to the ultimate test to see what he will do. You know, how much do you trust me, says the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it got to that point where once you said that, <clears throat> once he said that I trust you so implicitly that I will give up anything and everything just because you asked me to. And, yeah, uh, so it's an act of faith right. um, for Abraham to do something completely opposite of what the Lord generally would have us have him do because it's exactly but and then why does it need to be all in similitude why is it all representative and symbolic of Christ's atonement then you know why is this particular thing or is no, it I just to help Abraham understand the atonement better or understand God better because someday he'll be a God is that um you know well, I think it would also help Isaac understand the concept of the coming Messiah and what he's going to do. And I'm pretty sure he taught Jacob about that. Jacob, I'm sure, taught his sons. Now, his sons had their own issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that a lot of that ended up, um, they initially, they understood that. But I, I, I think that our trials and Abraham's trials were as much to, like Abraham needed to know that he would be that faithful to the Lord. The Lord knew he would, but Abraham might not have known. Yeah, Abraham had to prove to himself. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the same thing that will happen with us, right? Mm -hmm. The Lord knows what we will do and what we're willing to do. But sometimes we don't know. We don't know our own how we're going to react um, and, and how um, steadfast we will be. It's like the, like the disciples of Christ, right? When he said, one of you is going to deny me and they go, is it me? Is it me? Because they didn't know for sure for themselves. Right. Right. Um, and so they have to go through, they had to go through their trials. We have to go through our trials um, not to prove something to the Lord, but to prove something to us so that when we move forward past this life, we can move forward in confidence that, yes, we did this. We were, we, we made the right choice and we're capable, right? So we're not second guessing ourselves every time. Thank you. Nancy, I, <clears throat> that was what I was going to say. I really think the Lord knew that Abraham would pass this test. I just think Abraham didn't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. You said that excellently. Thanks. For sure. <clears throat> um, so I um so yeah. Um, next we, we go and transition from, from the donkey and we, we go into the ram here in the sacrifice. Um, I, I found it so intriguing, all of the things that are pointed out on page 216, um, that looking around, Abraham saw what he had not seen before, a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. 
And this is a sign. God now explained to Abraham that his descendants would likewise be trapped through their sins and entangled by foreign powers. Um, but in but would in the end be redeemed when God would blow the horn, a ram's horn, uh, according to the Israel's prophets and gather them home. I found that so telling as we're, you know, in these last days and timelines, etc., cetera, um, that we, we look at, at Daniel and his beasts and uh, Ezra's eagle, etc., and all of this uh, pointing towards this same thing that this ram is pointing towards that they're trapped through their sins and entangled by foreign powers. And, and so I had never, ever considered that before, that even Abraham brings forth this, this imagery of a beast uh, of the end times uh, kind of a thing. Uh, I found that very intriguing as we we're studying this. Um, but all throughout this, I had never once considered all of the different helps. There's lots of ministering angels. There's lots of um, angelic messengers, seraphs that are coming and, and helping at the sacrifice, and even uh, uh, God uh, at the, let's see, the second to the last paragraph on page 216, it starts off, what vision? According to the Midrash Rabbah, as Abraham offered up the ram, uh, the Holy One showed Abraham the temple built, destroyed, and rebuilt, and yet again rebuilt and firmly established in the Messianic era, as in the verse from Psalms, when the Lord hath built up Zion, when he hath seen in his glory. Thereby Abraham saw the significance of the place where he was standing. It is Mount Zion, says Jubilees. Interesting that, that God is granting him visions. We know that all of the Abrahamic tests and things are uh, pointing towards blessings through the gateway to to have the Lord bless and exalt us. Um, but here, the the Abrahamic test that we always refer to, what is it giving Abraham? Yes, he has a knowledge that uh, he is proving faithful, but here uh, he's shown a vision. Like this is an actual vision of the temple at, at Mount Moriah and in, in the future Jerusalem, etc., all the way up uh, until the, the final temple is built there. I found that very interesting. I had never understood that before. And we just learned in the previous chapter, uh, chapter nine, where he goes on, on this temple building experience. He's building one in Beersheba and one with Ishmael, etc. Um, and here, the Lord is granting him a vision of this Jerusalem temple as well. I, I just love that. I love that that's one of the, the blessings that comes out of this uh, sacrifice uh, experience at, at Mount Moriah here. And then what does he do? He goes and dedicates the site. I, I love that. And I love the imagery that, that keeps popping up um, where Abraham is able to, to bless future generations uh, through his, his trials and blessings. Hey, Cameron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What if we could follow in Abraham's footsteps in every place that we had a really spiritual moment, a moment where the Lord taught us something, we built a pile of rocks and made it a monument. <laughs> How many yep. piles of rocks would you have? <laughs> I, I would only have a few, but <laughs> I wouldn't have near as many as Abraham did. <laughs> eh, don't you cut yourself short. <laughs> but you're not nearly as old as abraham was yet either cameron there you go. that's it right there i'm just not on the hip. <laughs> <laughs> look at that timeline how old are you let's see what was he doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I'm still a baby. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. But yeah, I mean, sometimes we, we look at these things as if they only happened to the patriarchs of old. But if we really do follow after Abraham's footsteps, that that we can stand in holy places. And that requires making wherever we stand a holy place. Uh, exactly. Like the, the pattern of Abraham. I, I love that insight. Now, one of the things that we can do without leaving piles of rocks every place is we need to make sure that we document our feelings, our experiences in a journal. And, and we need to make sure we keep our own histories because right now the adversary is doing everything in his power to change the history because if they can change the history for this upcoming generation then they have nothing to contrast with what the conditions are now and if they're they have no hope of anything being any different than what it is now then there's no reason for them to fight against it there's no there's no ideas that life could be better Therefore, they remain stuck in their cages, and they're happy to be in their cages. Mm -hmm. And that's what the whole this whole idea about rewriting the history. And that's why the, the general authorities are telling us and harping on us so much to write down our histories, our family histories, our relationships, the things that you remember, those things that are most important to us, because those are the things. President Holland said it in his... Uh, his uh, roots, roots, roots of knowledge, roots right. right. He said that record will be most beneficial to you and to your posterity in the coming future. Now, when I heard that, I saw that as a big sign of saying that your writings will be the truth that will be changed and on public records so that you might be the only source of the truth and information for upcoming generations. And that's why it's important for us to stay close as families and as groups and to keep that written record going. Wow. Yeah, you just blew my mind. <laughs> so you're equating journal keeping with ancient altars of sacrifice and, and leaving those in places. I mean, I have never, ever considered those as... Um, equal or or similar things in old law versus new law and and the things to, to pass on to posterity for that kind of stuff that yeah that one got me good job <laughs> something cameron hasn't thought yeah. about yet yay <laughs> oh man i i real suck at at journal keeping i'm i'm the worst even Sorry, my YouTube journal is stupid <laughs> but I yeah. I have a planner that has eight lines for every day. And my goal is to write down something on eight lines. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't take a long time. You just have to do it. Right. But eight lines. Anybody could do that. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> All right. All right. Because I'm, I'm super big into the Temple and Family History. Now I'm the Temple and Family History leader in our ward and stuff. And I'm always talking about and, and promising blessings if they'll search out the stories, etc. Connecting with their ancestors. And now I'm a hypocrite and don't even write my own history. And well, yeah. most of the time, it only takes it only takes the high points and those things that are most spiritually enlightened to you. Mm -hmm. Get them down on paper. Then yeah, like later on, when you come back to it, 
your those few clues, those prompts, will bring to your memory everything that had come and had come to pass. So you don't have to have every I crossed and every T dotted, but it's very important to have the important things down and then you can remember them later. And the Lord will allow you and assist you in your, re your remembering of the important things. Take it from him. He knows he can't remember anything. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go repent of that one and change that in my life. Thank you. I love it. I, 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 I truly do appreciate that a lot. I, that, I just want you to know, though, that neither one of us is perfect at it either. So <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so that brings us to the homework assignment. Um, not equal, but, but also homework before we uh, finish up for the night. So um, the homework is to, to take your own three-day journey to, to Mount Moriah uh, and seek the Lord's counsel on what you need to, to sacrifice in your life. Um, on a previous page, um, it, it quotes it many times throughout uh, this section, but um, uh, there on page 218, it says that, um, that if a man would attain to the keys of the kingdom of an endless life, he must sacrifice all things. And uh, I believe that, that God wants us to, to start seeking sacrifices in our lives, what we can, can cut out the, the meaningless stuff and replace it with better, etc. And so that's my invitation. Uh, as a homework assignment to, to take your own three-day journey to, to a Mount Moriah and uh, not, it doesn't have to be an actual mountain unless that's what the Lord prompts you to do, but um, to, to start seeking a, a sacrifice, pray fast if, if you're needing to, to, to receive that revelation. Say, here I am, Lord, what do I need to sacrifice? What lack I yet? Where do I need to go? And, and then follow through with it. <laughs> there's a pretty good chance mine might be journal keeping <laughs> I love it. all right so any final thoughts before we close out for the night anything that we skipped there's there's quite a bit more in that that section there but uh i've really enjoyed tonight it's been fun yeah hey just just for the record the reason why we know about abraham and all the other things that we're reading right now is because somebody else wrote it down <laughs> yeah. so uh if your life your life is just as important as abraham's so write it down somebody kept the journal somebody did yep i love that and then next week is it six o'clock that the author douglas clark is going to do a zoom uh, so um a correction on that. So with the time change and everything that we didn't consider, so it's 7 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's just going to be one hour earlier than than this current one is. And we won't have this um, this 8 o'clock class uh, next week. And okay. so we will be postponing Chapter 11 until the following week. Uh, but yeah, um, that's... Uh, going to be so fun. If you have any other questions or anything you'd like me to, to pre-submit to him uh, this week, uh, go ahead and send those over to me. I've got, I keep writing down things as we, we study and discuss things to ask him, but um, yeah, uh, next week, 7 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time uh, with the author uh, and all the other classes are canceled for, for next week.
Can you put up like a Google Doc that has the questions you have so far so that we can see if there's anything we might want to springboard off of those or, you know, that way you're not getting a bunch of duplicates? Uh -huh. Yeah, for sure. I will do that uh, since we, we end tonight and, and I'll send that out. As if you didn't have anything else to do with your life. <laughs> I'll Cameron. probably send it to, to you all that are connected tonight. I, I won't send it to everyone yet. They'll be kind of confused like, oh, are we supposed to add to this or something? But but yeah, I'll send it to you guys. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank you for all your comments. It's been very enlightening. I love a good call to repentance. <laughs> <laughs> have a great week, everybody. <laughs> yep, we'll see ya. Bye.